Hey, it's the Good Advice Show, and you're tuning in to a round two conversation with Tamika Sears. She's the corporate fixer, and she knows all there is to know about effective leadership and management. It's all about the kind of team we all want to be a part of, and more importantly, if you're managing people in any way, how to have the team that every boss wants. This is a round two conversation. She's been on the show before, and naturally, we brought her back for another continued conversation on this topic. But before we jump into it, here's a word from one of the amazing businesses in our area. Stay tuned. Are you looking for one of the best places to eat here in Northwest Arkansas? If you're a foodie like me, you have your short list of places where if someone's visiting, you're like, hey, we got to try this place. I want to tell you about Big Sexy Food over in downtown Springdale. And whether you're getting something like just their awesome burger, which if it's me, I'm going to double up on that. Or if you're getting their Nutty Buddy burger with a little crunchy peanut butter on there, the food is always so freaking good. In fact, there's a reason they have so many five-star reviews on Google. One of the reviewers said, I recommend every single person try this restaurant. You can easily close your eyes and randomly point at something on the menu, and I promise it'll be delicious. When's the last time you heard about that from one of your local restaurants? Hey, check it out. Big Sexy Food in downtown Springdale. You can also go to BigSexyFood.com or check them out on social media at Big Sexy Food. Check it out. You won't regret it. We're sitting down with Tamika Sears, who is absolutely one of my favorite people to follow on LinkedIn. If you've been following Tamika as well, you would know she really doesn't hold back when she talks about how you can be a better boss. In fact, many of us have had not just a bad boss, but a horrible boss. We can all think of those stories where you work for that person and you thought, does this person eat children at night? I mean, just crazy psycho people. And Tamika is out there making a difference in the world of HR leadership, in the world of uh, positive cultures, and more importantly, DEI training, which we're going to talk about today and why many companies totally miss it when they do their DEI work in-house. All that and more on today's episode. Tamika, it's so great to have you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is this is definitely going to be fine. I can tell. Yeah, well, and you know, you came on the show. Um, it feels like forever ago, actually. Yeah. Um, I've never forgotten it because we did the whole show, and at the very end, I was like, "And there's Tamika," and you, or I said Tamika, and you're yeah. like, "Yeah, Tamika," and I was actually, like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. I was like, "I cannot believe." I still tell this story actually because um, I'll have someone on the show, and I'll be like, "Now, how do you say their name?" And they're like, "Carl." Yeah. It's just how it sounds, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just checking. Yeah. But it was so humiliating because I asked you on, you came on the show, and then I spent the entire episode mispronouncing your name. And I was like, this is, you know, foot and mouth. This is not good. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for coming back to the show. Uh, Tamika. Oh my gosh. I, I love your content. And for you guys who are listening, you know, I always talk to people who they're a bit um not scared of LinkedIn, but they don't really spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Uh, and then there's people like you and me who were on there a lot. Yeah. Um, and I would tell you guys, if you if you enjoy the world of leadership, management, 
uh, culture retention, which is such an important conversation right now, then you absolutely need to follow Tamika on LinkedIn. I'm going to have a link uh, Tamika for your bio. Uh, and then also, I should have said this in the intro, you are an author of a new book that you just came out with, yes. uh, which yes. I don't know. I don't know the official way to describe the title, <laughs> but it's, I love this title, How to Tell You're an A-Hole Boss. Yes. And this book includes 10 hints, 10 clues that if these clues are true about you, hate to say it, you might yeah. be an a-hole boss. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I was reading through the book. I was reading through the intro. And Tamika, I, I love that you wrote this book. I mean, it it is so on point. I was reading through the 10 clues and I was like, yep, yep, yep. That's exactly right. And I also loved... Um, you know, you're you're sort of like guiding people into the realization that, like, hey, if everyone's quitting, guess what? Right. Guess what? But, yeah. So, Not so them. talk to me. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm speaking so much here. Um, first of all, how are you doing today, just in general? <laughs> doing doing well, doing well, with the with the exception of uh, like an eight week bout of of COVID, which was yeah. you know super not fun, but I I am. I am bouncing back with the help of an afternoon nap. <laughs> <laughs> it's another, there's a great tip for um, just advancing in your career is know your limits and take naps when you need to. Yes. So, yes. Yep. so you, you, you wrote this book. Um, I love the candidness implied with this book and it's really necessary. You know, we just came out, you mentioned COVID. We just came out of COVID. There are so many stories of mismanagement, um, yes. you know, yes. uh, and people who listen to the podcast long term know that I'm I don't really um hold back here. There's a lot of of fudging the lines of it's the employee's fault. You know, we're talking about quietly right. quitting and how dare employee, you know, just all this right. stuff. You've always kept the focus on the most important party that's responsible for culture, the leader. Yeah. Tell me about this book that you wrote. So um, I, I had this idea in my mind for a while, but you know, it was, I was you know one of the one of those people that I'm like, how do I write a whole book, right? <laughs> uh, and I was I was working for uh, a company that was just awful. Like the leadership was just awful. The top mm. line leaders um, just did the most immoral, unethical, horrible things. And as an HR professional, I'm like, well, I can't possibly stay in this organization. And say that I'm an HR professional, right? Yeah. So I just I I quit. Um, the the last straw was when I asked if the company was going to celebrate Juneteenth because it was the first year that Juneteenth was like official, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Nope, but you can." Um, and I was like, "You know oh what? We're, we're done here." So Jeez. I um, yeah, so I quit, and the, the timing actually worked out well because um, a friend of mine, his dog broke his leg. Um, he had a little puppy and it broke his leg. Hmm. And so I literally like, like stayed at his house and puppy sat with like the puppy sleeping in my lap, all drugged up on his little pain pills and, <laughs> and, and wrote a book. So I took a few months and just like, you know what, I can do this. And it was really about um, my experiences that I've had with leaders who sometimes are completely unaware that they are the problem, right? The leaders right. who are just like, Oh, these these millennials, and it's oh, like, yeah, yeah nope. The, the problem is you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. It makes me think of someone I've told the story so many times, but uh, which I hear the millennial thing all the time. And I'm always like, so, you know, I'm a millennial, right? Um, right. Uh, and then I typically hear like, well, not millennials like you. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I, I think of a, a woman who her entire team had quit over the previous year. It was like 10 people had all quit. And she was like, you know, you know, millennials are just, they're just so tough to manage. And I was like, yeah. Um, yeah. I think if your whole oh, team yeah. quit, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, yep. 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 <laughs> but I love how you, I love, I, I, you know, help me. It's funny. Cause I was talking to my wife about you coming on the show today and I was talking about the book and she was like, I love that. And she was like, but you know, the challenge of this, right? And I was like, well, what's the challenge? And she's like, well, whoever's reading the book is probably thinking, oh no, that's not, it's not me. Right. I'm not that's, that person. Not right? right. You know, it's right. like, it's like the leader where you're like, they're like, well, I'm really self-aware. You know, and you're like, okay, but yep. I should I should have put that in the book, right? Clue number one: if you say to people you're self aware, right, <laughs> you're not. Um, so I, I tried to write the book in a way just to have um, clear examples of if this is happening to you, then you need to do some self reflection. Um, and I have some self reflection and tips in the book so that it's not just a matter of me saying, "Hey, you suck." It mm. is, you know. Things may not be going well for you and you don't realize that you're the problem. And here's how you can fix it once you do realize that you're the problem. Yeah. And I, I think one of the greatest indicators that you mentioned in the book, and I apologize, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but I read the line and thought, oh my gosh, that's so true, um, is uh, good bosses simply don't have their employees quitting or, right, or, right. Great, or employees don't quit great bosses, basically. Um, right. Tell me a little bit, a little bit more of your perspective there. Yeah. So, you know, typically when you have an awesome, just like a boss, you just like, you know, this is someone that wants, that wants me to grow. They want me to learn. They support me. They're there for me. Um, even if someone reaches out to you on LinkedIn and they're like, Hey, there's this job and we're going to pay you $10,000 more. You're like, you know what, is that $10,000 worth possibly going into a, into a bad situation? Right. Mm. People are going to stay with a great leader much longer than sometimes really even they should for their own careers, to be quite quite honest. Right. But if someone reaches out to you and they're like, hey, there's a new job. We're going to pay you $5,000 less, but we have awesome leaders and you have a bad boss. You're going to go, even if it's less money, even if it's a community. Right. Even, you know, people leave bad bosses because it's it is a horrible feeling to get up on Monday morning and know that you're going to work for someone who doesn't give a hoot about you. I think of it as the Sunday night um, anxiety, which right. I, I worked in a place like that where it's Sunday yeah. night and I found myself like looking for reasons to extend the night. You know, it's like nine o'clock, like I'll watch a movie. I don't know. Um, right. Because I so badly just did not. And I was working in, in uh, uh, the city of Houston as a high school teacher and it's so funny when I tell stories like that, people are like, oh yeah, those kids were crazy, huh? And I'm like, no, yeah, kids, were kids were amazing. <laughs> kids were amazing. Yeah. yeah. My bosses were psychopaths. <laughs> yep. So I knew, I knew it was a problem though. Like there was one morning that I was driving to work and I thought, I was like, man, I wonder if I got into a wreck, oh, how God. much, how much yeah. time could I get off work and not have like a permanent you know, yeah. disability yep. from yeah. this. <laughs> That's the problem, right? And then, yeah. Then I was Whereas like, what is you, wrong with me? <laughs> if you loved going to work, right? Even right. if you got into an accident, you'd be like, oh no, when, when can I get back to work? 
And right. that does happen. Like there are people who who love their jobs, they love what they do, and they love the people that they work for. Let me ask you this, because I, I I talk a lot about management on the podcast, and you know, um, people who understand this, like they're they're probably listening to this right now, and they're like, "Yep, I totally agree, hundred percent." But then I have people who listen to the podcast who, uh, frankly, will say things like, "Well, it sounds like you haven't really managed anyone before," and I'm like. Okay, I have, but thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> but people who are suspicious isn't the right word. But like when you talk about these concepts, how do you how do you combat people who um, try to write it off as well? You know, your business is never going to be competitive. Then you know, or it was um, I saw a post the other day from Kevin O'Leary, the guy from Shark Tank, Mr. Yeah. Wonderful, and he said something like, um, "We don't do nine to five here." If if I don't want employees who need to spend time with their family, yada, yada, yada. I hope they work for my competitor because we're going to beat them every time or something like that. Right. How do you, what's it like combating some of these more um, age old cliches, honestly, in business? It's funny that you ask that. So I did a um, a conference a couple of weeks ago and uh, I just came up with a, a new workshop that is kind of about um, things that you can't do anymore and, and stay in business, right? And there was, and it's very interactive, right? Like I like to talk to people, like to get the the conversation flowing. And there was this one participant who just insisted that I was, I was just dead wrong. And one of the things that he was really stuck on was, you know, office drive-bys. Like I'm like, just don't do it. Like you don't, you don't need to do it, right? If you're, if the purpose of your drive-by is to see if that person is working, like don't do it. Yeah, and he's right. like, well, I, I am, I have salespeople and I, I'm responsible for revenue and I need to make sure that they're bringing in the revenue. So I'm going to continue to do it. And I go, you know what? Go ahead. I understand that you have to bring in the revenue and you'll go ahead and, and you'll bring that revenue in. I'm absolutely sure. They go, but you're going to turn around and spend it on hiring the same roles over and over and over. So what, ma- what makes more sense to you and what matters to you, your top line or your bottom line? I love that. Yeah. And I, it's so interesting to me how people can be geniuses when it comes to like long-term thinking of their business, yeah. like this people element, like the cost of retention, right. the cost of retraining for some reason. Like, I don't know why it's like this, it's like, it does not connect for some reason. Yeah. And I, and I worked with people like that who they're like, Oh, this guy is a, a just a beast. He brings in the revenue. He does this. He does that. And it's like, okay, but what is that? What's the cost, right? Right. And I, I try to get people to understand: you don't work with your gross pay, right? Like, doesn't matter what your gross pay is. What what's your take home? Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing with these with these these leaders who are just like, oh, I bring in all this. Okay, but you know, at the end of the day, what's what's that bottom line? Right. Yeah. And I, I, on the flip side, I love in your book, how you describe um, like the great bosses, which I think a lot of times people, they put like a superhero cape on like what, who a great boss is. And then it's like, well, how am I ever going to be like that? You know, they think of like this very charismatic or this is where my mind goes, at least like a very charismatic, um, I don't know, the stereotypical great leader. And um, if I can just lift this, what you said, uh, we have true leaders. They put them. They put their teams before themselves. They give credit where it's due. Shocker. Uh, they provide timely feedback, uh, and they, my phrasing, they give a crap. They finally, right. you know, they genuinely give a crap. Right. Um, and I love. And you follow on by saying, um, when someone reports to a leader like this, that leader is honest and genuine, and cares about. I love this distinction. 
cares about them as an employee and as a person. Right. Like I, I hear, I read this stuff and I'm like, this is, this isn't something that's like impossible for someone to do. Like it nope. seems so basic. And yet when we think about a great boss, the great bosses we've had in our own lives, we're like, yep, that person did all of those things. Right. right. And it's like, really what I, what I try to get people to understand, unless you are like truly a sociopath, right? <laughs> you should be able to do those things. Right. And quite right. frankly, <laughs> even if you are a sociopath, you may be able to fake it. Right. It's, right. it's not, none of those things are difficult to do. Mm. Right. Well, it's great having people like you who are um, creating momentum in the right direction. Because like I said, sometimes when I have these conversations with people, it, it's it's like there's like a sense of disbelief. Like, mm-hmm. oh, that's really great, but that never works in the real world. And I'm like, but plenty of businesses are doing it well. You just right. don't believe that that's the case. So. Right. And it's well, one of the things like with what you said about the Mr. Wonderful, right? Like, I hope you work for the competitors. Great. Right. Because he's, I'm sure, doing well. I'm sure his companies are doing really well, but he doesn't stop to think, could they be doing better? Right. Right. Yeah. And I love that distinction too, of, of sort of the lost opportunity. If you just right. um, shocker treated your employees like human beings um, right. <laughs> or just even just dignity. I love the concept of dignity, like giving mm-hmm. dignity to your employees, you know, and, and sometimes I think what's really weird to me, you, you joked about being like a sociopath. I think it's weird to me is like how, I don't know if it's insecurity. I don't know if it's ego. It's probably both. Um, how parental bosses get with their employees. Yes. Like, oh, well, I'm just going to, okay, I'm, I'm going to delegate a little bit to see if they can handle it. And I'm like, you're not their babysitter. Right. Like, this is a grown, <laughs> this is a grown right. person. Like, what is going on here? And I can see where that can be, that can be difficult. So when you get to be a certain age, right? So my daughter is, is 28, right? So it would be really easy for me to look at a millennial employee, you know, since I'm I'm Gen X, the greatest generation, uh, <laughs> it would be easy for me to look at a millennial employee and see them as as you know my my child, right? Like uh-huh. and treat them like they're my child. You have to be able to take that step to say this is a different relationship, and the way that I interact with this person of this age is not the same way I am going to interact with my employee of this age. And I, I think that. sometimes it's hard for people to really um, kind of separate that out. They just think. Oh, look at these young whippersnappers. You know, this is this is this is how we treat them. <laughs> well, and it's like the um what I love, I need to I need to share it more often, but I have a picture that's like it's like a Time magazine cover from like 1970. Um and it's like the or I don't even know when it's from, but it's like the me 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 generation and it's talking right. about baby boomers. Um yep. And then there's one from uh, like five years ago that says the me generation and some millennial yes. on a phone. Yes. And it's just so funny how like the nothing ever really changes. We like yep. always just rip yep. on the younger generation. But I, I mentioned this because um, it feels like every, and I want to get your take on this. It feels like every couple of years, we find a new way to um, dish on employees. And I'm thinking <laughs> about like, Two years ago, we had the great resignation and like, yeah. it's like, nobody wants to work anymore. Or yeah. I actually saw a post. This is crazy. I saw a post of a store that shut down this last week. And it said, because of stimulus checks, our employees don't want to come into work anymore. So we're closing. And I was like, because of the $1,200 they got two years ago or wherever much it was, two right. grand. Right. Because of two years ago, they don't want to work anymore. Well, but like, and then it's like, even if, so if someone is getting two grand a month, right? 
if that is enough for them to say, I'm going to quit my full-time job, what are you paying them? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I I love that you you say that too, because I, I personally get really offended on this subject of um, do you want to give great pay or be a great boss? And I'm like, can can we not do right. both? Like, do both. this is nuts like to me. Right. Because guess what? A, a great boss is going to give great pay. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely true. How do you consider yourself a great boss if you're not giving great pay? Well, and, it, and I think it ties back into what you're saying. If you care about the dignity, the, the intrinsic value yes. of the human being, yes. how could you not think about... Um, the bills that they're paying, the things that they're having to deal with. Um, right. I don't know, or if, it's, if you are a leader of an organization and you have people in your organization that are on food stamps, you should be ashamed of yourself. 100% agree. 100% agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And for people listening, uh, I try not to be um, too wishy-washy. I, I do try to avoid like, Things that I know, there's things I say that I know will piss some people off, and then there's things that I just don't <laughs> talk about because I know it'll really piss people off. Um, but this is something that I don't shirk away from. I, I think, Tamiki, I think you're so spot on right. It, it needs to be said again. If your employees are on food stamps, you should be ashamed. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And for you guys who are listening, understand for a second the responsibility. Like, it, 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 I get so tired of this whole like uh, this obnoxious dialogue around like they should be grateful for a job. I'm doing them a favor. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, it just, it just kind of, it blows my mind. Honestly, when you you think about it, first of all, that's a horrible mindset to begin with, right? You're doing this person a favor by giving them a job because one, your company wouldn't exist without those people doing that job. Right. And I think that over the last few years, there's definitely been, um, kind of a reckoning because there are people who are doing these, you know, quote unquote side hustles or whatever, that they're like, you know what, then keep your funky job. I'll go do something else. Right. And there are opportunities for employment now that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. And until employers start to kind of understand that they're going to continue to hemorrhage people because no one is going to want to do your job for $10,000 a month. When they can say, you know what, I'm just going to cut back expenses and do delivery for Uber and mm-hmm. you know, walk dogs and piecemeal this this life together, doing things I kind of enjoy by my for myself mm-hmm. and make enough money to live off of. Well, so you're pretty you're pretty um, straightforward in what you think on LinkedIn in the sense of I love I love your confidence in just calling people out. Um, I think, I think you remember the crying CEO. I think yes. I, I didn't even, I was totally out of the loop on this. I, well, I had a baby. So good, I think, good. I think that's was, why. Yeah. So I was like, what is going on? But I, it showed up on, on my newsfeed because of your, um, comment, I think. Um, and I just remember like scrolling back being like, what is happening here? And then being like, <laughs> wow, this is mega cringe. Like what right. is going on? Right. But point being that I'm getting at is, um, you know, I usually see your comments and I'm usually like, totally agree. Great. Love it. Um, do you get a lot of pushback or people oh, who, oh, yeah. so what's that like having to oh, battle, absolutely. battle other, um, not just, and uh, battle's not really the right word. Cause I'm sure you probably do have people who are like, Hey, I disagree. And you, maybe you talk back and forth right. and it's fine, but I'm assuming you also probably have people who are like, you know, 
um, probably condescending and maybe racist oh, yeah. or who yeah. say like very misogynistic things. Like, so how do you, what's, what's goes through your mind when you're navigating these frustrating people? Well, the first thing that goes through my mind is, you know, I, I'm super glad I'm not your child or your spouse, <laughs> right? Um, sure. <laughs> right. You know, sometimes it really is just a matter of, there are some people that are just a lost cause, right? It's, it doesn't, yeah. Going back and forth isn't going to to make a difference, right? It's they're just going to be like, "Told you she was stubborn," you know. So there's no point. But I do like to try to see if I can perhaps see their perspective, to see if I, I can get them to see my perspective, mm. you know. And then there are times. So like very recently, actually, within the last couple of weeks, someone posted something about whether or not um, white white men, I think in particular, should ever be a DEI leader. And there was a lot of like back and forth on the answer to that, because someone said that they feel that it should be always a person of color, because a person of color, just by being a person of color is like uniquely qualified to be a DEI leader. And I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, And that caused like this whole huge thing where there are people that were just like, yeah, yeah, white people suck and none of them should be DI leaders. <laughs> like, well, no, like n- not all white people suck, you know, like that's, uh, let's, you know, no whole anything sucks. And saying that just because I am a black woman, I am uniquely qualified to do DEI work. And because you are a black man, you are uniquely disqualified, mm. takes the inclusion yeah. <laughs> out of DEI, right? Yeah. And it also takes away that the, the fact that not everyone can be a DI practitioner, right? You do actually have to know what you're doing. And there's a change management piece and an organizational effectiveness piece. And these other pieces that go into DEI work that I think a lot of people just kind of forget Mm -hmm. about. And they're like, no, I do DEI training. I'm great. I I love that you paused there for a second. And I'd I'd love to get kind of your perspective on DEI training. Um, you know, naturally there's so much like exhausting drama as soon as like the term gets mentioned. Um, and it also, it does feel like there is a lot of like blanket stamping of, you know, we did, um, like just personally speaking, I I personally don't feel qualified to do DEI training. Um, and I actually had someone who reached out said, Hey, we're doing this conference. Would you like to take the DEI section? And I said, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about <laughs> right, what to say right. here. So I, I think maybe someone else is better suited for this. Um, so, but it does feel like I was a little bit um, taken aback in the sense of, I thought it doesn't feel like you put much thought into yeah. this. Cause I don't, I don't do none of my content is around diversity and inclusion. Right. I'm not, uh, there's nothing on my LinkedIn bio that suggests I am. So I thought, did you just take someone who, has a has is on a podcast and saying yes you but but my point that i'm getting at sort of being long-winded is it it does feel like there isn't a lot of thoughtfulness but there is like an awareness of there's a need there but let me check the box so kind of kind of give me your perspective on how dei training is being done today so it's it's it feels like it's a a dei band-aid so um when there's typically this like huge thing that happens like the starbucks thing you know oh, we're going to shut down and we're going to do two full days of DEI training and then bam, we'll be the most inclusive company in the world. Well, no, that's that's not the way that it works. Two days of training isn't changing anyone's minds. It's not changing, changing anyone's behaviors. Um, and so there needs to be 
significantly more thought that goes into putting putting together DEI programs. Just saying, hey, this person is going to be our DEI leader, like that, that doesn't that doesn't work. And it's been kind of proven to not work. So programs that really, number one, don't just focus on gender and race. There's so much more that goes into it when we talk about inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think that the focus on gender and race um, is what causes a lot of the organizations to not be as successful because you're talking about inclusion, but you're excluding most of your population. I love that insight. I've, I've never yeah. thought of that. I love that yeah. insight because uh, for me, like I, I put out, um, it's so funny though. I, and I, I, and I, I'm totally, I don't mean to use my bias to like totally hijack the direction of this because I want to come back to this, um, here in a second, but I've just found whenever this topic comes up, there's like a weird, um, so here's what happened. My, my wife and I, we have a personality test. I have a personality test that I do with some of my customers called Berkman. And, yeah. um, it's like, you know, all your different, it's, 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 it's a personality test. What's, what's there to say about it? Right. Well, so my wife and I, we did a video that I said, yeah, here's some insights from it. And it's great to have different personalities on the team. Well, someone had reached out and said basically, oh yeah, um, I'm so glad you talked about this because we spend so much time, time talking about like diversity in terms of DEI when really it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's just about diversity of personality, which I, I kind of see where he was coming from. But what I actually felt was being inferred was or implied was um, talking about race was bad or like right. he was kind of tired of that whole thing. And so right. I, I sense the gingerness that people have around this topic. Um, I, I'm imagining, I, cause I know you, you and your, your, uh, your, what your business partner as the corporate fixers, you guys do full-blown DEI training. It's not just like a, we pop in for two hours and right. you know, we're great, but it's like a totally immersive, which, which by the way, if you guys listening, if you've been thinking about this for your own business, if you've been thinking about what's next for your business, absolutely call Tamika because they'll come in, they'll do a full assessment. They have an entire program with individualized coaching that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if any of in any of that rambling, there was like a question or like an insight. <laughs> no, but... so it's I, I I get it because there are people who are like, you know what, I'm t- I'm tired of the of the race conversation, which is which is annoying because the race conversation does need to happen, but other conversations need to happen as well, right? So for example. A really good friend of mine um, was she was just diagnosed with cancer, right? So she's she's trying to work, she's trying to to work through things, and instead of her organization working with her through her illness, they said, "You know what? People don't feel comfortable reaching out to you, so there are things that you've been missing. So we need you to go on short-term disability." What? Yeah. Like how how is that inclusive? How is how is how does that help her? as a person with an illness that is really trying to maintain her financial right status right. maintain you know her mind of i am a fully functioning human being i'm not being defined by this illness that i have how does that help her in that way right, right. so that's all a part of this diversity discussion yeah no and i i love the um the point you make i saw your post and again not to retread old ground but um I can't remember her name, uh, maybe Shayla, uh, Shayla King, maybe. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. She said it perfectly. That's such a great... I, it, yeah. It's only because personally to me, this conversation of, of dignity, I, I keep harping on it. 
but I just keep thinking about this concept of dignity um, and just recognizing someone's intrinsic value beyond the job title. Uh, right. Which, guys, if if you're if you're doing that, you're already like <laughs> way ahead of the game in terms of yeah. leadership. So, well, so Tamika, you're you're doing the um, the DEI training. Um, what's some of like the most common uh, challenges or misconceptions? You know, you mentioned the band aid, which yeah. for our listeners who maybe you're not familiar of like the Starbucks reference, basically um, there was an employee who called the cops on a black customer um, who was like waiting for a friend. Uh, would probably never, ever, ever, ever happen uh, to a white customer. And so what happened was Starbucks shut down the store for a day or something or a half day and said, you know, we're going to do a training on this. Um, so I love you mentioned the Band-Aid fix. W- what else typically comes up in these conversations? What other misconceptions or challenges do you typically face? So the, the biggest challenge is that people don't quite seem to understand that if you if you're focused on, on diversity, right? Like there are people like, um, so first, I hate the term diversity hire. It's like what? What what is that? What is it? What is a diversity hire? Right, <laughs> right. Um, and so it's like that maybe a, a hire that is from an unrepresented group in your organization, but that doesn't mean that they're a diversity hire. Right. Figure out something else to call them. <laughs> um, so when you have these companies that are like, you know, we're going to set a goal that we're going to get our um, our people of color up to twenty percent, our women up to thirty percent. You set these these goals for these humans, right? without thinking about the toll that going into an organization that does not have inclusiveness, like the toll that that takes on that person as a human being. Mm -hmm. So I talk about focusing on inclusion first, right? You have to have a culture that can actually accept these people, um, accept their, their ideas, accept them as, as people and not as token diverse hires before you bring them on board. Because what ends up happening is you just continue to, to hire, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to hire a bunch of black men. Great. We're going to hire a bunch of black men. The black men are going to get traumatized. They're going to leave. We're going to hire more black men. They're going to get traumatized. They're going to leave. And there's nothing done like in the middle to say what is being done to traumatize these people so that they're leaving. So like, I mean, your work's obviously cut out for you because... It- I think our culture today is so like politically entrenched in yeah. certain ideals and like, and not even just, I mean, I think even the word entrenched is putting it lightly. You have people who it, their identity as a professional is so deeply wound with who they vote for. Right. Um, and they are listening to right the talk radio and the TV shows and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Does it, does it intimidating is not the right word, but like, does it feel um, insurmountable at all? Or uh, no, I I, I live in Arizona, which is like, you know, the kind of the the crazy political state right now. (laughs) Um, So I drive down the street and I see like so and so for superintendent, we'll ban CRT. And it's like, okay. Um, (laughs) So I, I just, Kind of take it as as it is, right? And yeah. one of the things when someone says to me, "Oh, we don't need to teach. We shouldn't be teaching about slavery in schools." It's like, okay, well, um, were you aware that seven U.S. presidents owned slaves? Right. Like, it's that's a significant amount of our U.S. presidents, right? Mm-hmm. That, that owned slaves, percentage wise, right? Right. So just taking that one fact alone. You want to cut out that much percentage of history being taught. 
Right. Does that make any sense? No, it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. And it's, um, I mean, I guess what else is there for me to say other than just complain more about this topic? (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to add like an insight and I'm like, I'm just more just, you know, annoyed and and frustrated. So, But, But I also try to get people to understand that generationally, right? We've got these generations that are, things are not far removed from legalized racism. Your baby boomers were all raised by people who grew up when when racism was was quite okay, right? It wasn't frowned upon. It wasn't seen as, as a bad thing. It was it was just the thing to do, right? You had different fountains. You had you know different entrances. They had separate separate but equal. When you have that type of childhood and you're raised in that way, you're obviously not going to all of a sudden be like you know what, that's great that my daughter marries someone outside of their race, right? It's not, that's not an automatic thing. And I think um, a lot of the younger generations don't quite understand how these people were raised and they can't really wrap their heads around it. So there's this expectation that these people just kind of flip a switch and make a change, but it takes more than that, right? Like this isn't just a, I'm going to have one conversation with you and you're going to see the goodness of all things, the goodness of diversity. Right. Which is why I think that doing, you know, deep coaching and doing group coaching to help people understand the differences and the way that things are perceived is really helpful when you work with these organizations. Yeah. I mean, I think about, and I love something you just mentioned of it being not that far removed. Cause I talked to a guy, um, a few years back where slavery got brought up and he, uh, this sounds so awful. I mean, it was awful, but in the conversation, it didn't hit me as awful as it was, but he basically was like, you know, man, slavery was 200 years ago. Like why, why can't black people move on was pretty much what right. he was saying. Right. Um, and you know, so I'm from Arkansas. I live in Arkansas, uh, Little Rock's our capital. Um, Little Rock nine was, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's my parents' generation. So I love right. what you said. It's it's not that far removed from, no. uh, I guess, where our mind sometimes goes. Um, no, like my great grandmother was a sharecropper, right? Which is like literally one small step above enslavement. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was not that long ago. Yeah. Well, so your works, it, it, I mean, it's obviously you're doing some pretty incredible work with your customers. Um, do you find yourself, uh, like, what what excites you the most in terms of your content? Like, obviously, the book is really incredible. I'm, I'm assuming you're probably thinking of, like, what you want to write next. Um, oh, the, gosh. The, the I have, I'm not you're doing and Okay. <laughs> uh, like, what, do you have, like, a favorite... Um, like for me, I, I talk a lot about like pay and management as like kind of like things I get really passionate about, you know, of the scope of things that you typically are drawn to, what what most excites you? I think the thing that most excites me is helping people, helping the person that says, you know, oh no, I'm super self-aware, actually be able to um, be self-aware. Right. Because I feel like self-awareness is kind of the the key to to everything. If you're not self-aware, like you're you're just you're screwed, essentially. Um and also helping helping people understand the full roundness and greatness of inclusion, right? That it's not just black and white, haha. Um, <laughs> but there's so much more to it, and yeah. you need you need to have all of those conversations. Um, you need to have all of those conversations, or else you're not really getting a, the full picture. You know, and it's I often talk about 
you know, products that got put out into the world that it's like, clearly you didn't listen to the woman in the room, right? Clearly there was a person of color that you just chose to ignore and how much that has cost companies and why it just doesn't make sense anymore to just have these very narrow conversations. I love it. And I I think that just sums it up really well. So um, for you guys who are listening, absolutely, you need to reach out to Tamika if you've been thinking about your own business um, and also pick up a copy of her book, How to Tell You're an A-Hole Boss. It's available on Amazon. I'll put the link to purchase it uh, down in the episode uh, description. So you can check that out. It is on Amazon, like I mentioned. And uh, I should have mentioned the subtitle, and, uh, and a humorous yet honest expose on misguided management behaviors. Uh, even if you don't think you are an A-Hole Boss, you still might be, yeah. but you at least, this book's incredibly relatable and you, I'll just say you might even have a friend you need to gift it to <laughs> <laughs> this upcoming holiday season and you could play it off as a joke, but then really be like, no, really, you should read it. So um, Tamika, oh my gosh, it was so great having you back on the show today. Thank, Thank you, you for coming me. on again. Thank you. Thank you. This is fun. What's the best way for people to, if they want to follow up from a conversation from this podcast, if they want to reach out, what's the best way for people to do that? The easiest way is to find me on LinkedIn, right? There's no emails or anything to remember. Just find me on LinkedIn. You you put in the link. I am on LinkedIn a lot. So I'm always in my inbox. Really great way to reach me. Perfect. Uh, for our listeners, again, I'll put li- the LinkedIn bio link uh, down in the episode description below so you can't miss it. Well, Tamika, thanks for the time today. Always a pleasure. We will make sure to have you on again uh, short in a shorter time span than like four years or however <laughs> long it's been. Um, thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Blake. Hey, for you guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. Don't forget if you enjoy the podcast, if you love this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click the subscribe button, click the follow button, and make sure you're listening to us on whatever uh, platform of your choice. And don't forget also, we do have a Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash good advice. Uh, and more importantly, if you would be a great guest or you know a great guest, you can absolutely reach out to me on LinkedIn and let me know what you want to talk about. We'll make it happen. So thanks for listening today. That's today's good advice, and we'll catch you later. See ya.